Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea, and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis, from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. Healing is an absolutely necessary part of our evolutionary paths. Can we all agree on that? Yes. But I wonder, dear listener, what does the word healing bring up for you? Does it evoke an easeful, pleasurable experience? Or do you associate healing with pain? With the experience of being sick, broken, or damaged in some way, or with a process that is long and difficult, torturous even. I guess my question for you is, do you enjoy the process of healing? Perhaps if you're a professional healer, you're saying, I love healing. It's my passion. And so let me clarify by saying, I am mostly speaking of the one being healed, not necessarily a practitioner helping us along with the process. In order to introduce the topic of today's episode, I'd like to offer a rather bold hypothesis about healing. I believe that most of us make healing way more difficult and complicated than it needs to be. We have been taught by the Western medical system that if we feel off, then this is a sign that we are broken or damaged and we need to be fixed. And being fixed? Oh boy. That involves some complex remedies and interferences. If instead we look at healing from a non-colonial perspective, what is it? I believe healing is inviting ourselves into wholeness and love. And before your ears begin to fill with white noise, because you think you're being served another New Age platitude, allow me to explain. Healing is the remembrance, through love, that we are already whole. And so whatever healing modalities we use simply help us to recover, reclaim, and remember our wholeness. This approach to healing affirms that our bodies already know how to heal themselves. In our last episode, we came home to the stark reality that our feminine natures had gone missing. We went in search of this lost feminine and we found her hiding in the underworld. In today's episode, we bring her this essential aspect of our natures back home into wholeness. Think of every step we take on our evolutionary quest as one ray of a rainbow. And as we take this step, we enter into the ruby ray of grace. The return of the divine feminine brings with her grace. And suddenly, healing becomes something very different from what we have been taught. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
as you continue to sing the song in your head, I invite you to feel into what arises within you with that song. This word grace holds so much. When I presence that word within my heart, just the word itself, I feel my throat catching and tears wanting to come forth. There can be no better story to begin unwrapping the resonance of grace and its relationship to healing than the second half of the descent of Inanna. As I shared in the last episode, this is a myth from ancient Sumer, a region that later became Babylonia and is located in what is now modern-day Iraq. The recording of the story on stone relief carvings dates back to around 2000 BCE, which is a bit over 4,000 years ago, making it one of the oldest recorded in human history. I sourced this story from the book Inanna, Queen of Heaven and Earth by Diane Walkstein and Samuel Noah Kramer, Harper and Rowe. However, there are many translations of it available The original is told in verse. Consider this an abridged version. Also, I changed the language just slightly in a couple spots to make it more relevant to us modern-day listeners. In the first part of our story, Inanna, Queen of Heaven and Earth, had journeyed to the underworld to visit her sister, Areshkigal, Queen of the Underworld, who was grieving the death of her husband. When she left, she told her servant, Ninshuber, to seek help if she didn't return. When Inanna arrived at her sister's domain, Areshkigal did not welcome her sister's appearance and, in a fit of rage, fastened the eye of death upon her. As we left off, Inanna had been hung upon a meat hook on the wall of the underworld. Let's continue. It has been three days and three nights since the Queen of Heaven and Earth set out for the underworld, and she has not returned. So Ninshuber dresses in rags like a beggar and sets up a lament. She sets out alone with her drum, beating it steadily in a procession to all the houses of the gods, circling the temples as she tears at her eyes, her thighs, and her mouth in grief. She comes first to the temple of Enlil, god of air and wind, and as she enters his holy shrine, she cries to him, Oh, Father, do not let your daughter Inanna, the holy priestess of heaven, be put to death in the underworld. Enlil responds angrily, Inanna dug her own grave by venturing into the underworld. Let her remain there. He would not help. Ninshuber continues her procession, beating her drum to the temple of Nana, god of the moon. As she enters his holy shrine, she cries to him, Oh, father, do not let your daughter Inanna, the holy priestess of heaven, be put to death in the underworld. But Nana responds similarly, Inanna dug her own grave. Let her be buried in it. He would not help either. Ninchubar continues her lament to the temple of Enki, god of water and the seas, 
As she enters his holy shrine, she cries to him, Oh, Father, do not let your daughter Inanna, the holy priestess of heaven, be put to death in the underworld. Enki responds with grave concern. What has happened? What has my daughter done? He raises a finger, and from under his nail, he brings forth a piece of dirt. Out of this piece of dirt, he fashions a kugara, a creature neither male nor female. He raises a finger on his other hand, and from under his nail brings forth another piece of dirt. And out of that, he fashions a galator, a creature also neither male nor female. To the kurgara, he gives the food of life. To the galator, he gives the water of life. He tells them to go to the underworld and slip through the cracks of the gates like flies. He instructs them on exactly what to do when they arrive to the throne room of Arashkigal. The Kugara and the Galator heed Enki's words. They journey to the underworld with Ninshuber close behind. They slip through the cracks of the gates like flies. They enter into the throne room of Arashkagol, queen of the underworld. As they find her, no cloth or linen covers Arashkagol's body. Her breasts are uncovered and exposed. Her hair swirls around her head like leeks. Arashkagol is moaning. Oh, my pain! The Krugara and the Galator moan back. Oh, your pain! Arashkagol moans. Oh, I suffer! They moan back. Oh, you suffer! Arashkagol groans. Oh, my stomach. They moan. Oh, your stomach. Arashkagol groans. Oh, my back. They moan. Oh, your back. Arashkagol sighs. Ah, my heart. They sigh. Ah, your heart. Arashkagol sighs. Ah, my guts. They sigh. Ah, your guts. Arashkagol stops. She looks at them. Who are you? You who are moaning, groaning, and sighing with me. Her stature shifts as she stands upright. You shall have a gift. I shall gift you water. The river in its fullest. We do not wish it, the Kugara and the Galator say. Then I shall gift you grain, the field at harvest. We do not wish it, they say in unison. Then speak, the queen says. What is it that you wish? We wish only for the corpse that hangs on the wall. Ereshkigal instructs her guards to hand them the corpse of Inanna. The Kurgara and the Galator sprinkle the food of life upon it. They sprinkle the water of life upon it. And then, Inanna rises. The Queen of Heaven and Earth comes back 
to life. She prepares to quickly take her exit when the judges stop her. No one ascends from the underworld unmarked. If Anana wishes to leave, she must provide someone in her place. Inanna begins her ascent from the underworld with a horde of underworld demons called Gala attached to her sides. One walks in front of the queen with a scepter, and one walks behind with a mace. Ninjuber, still dressed in rags, awaits her queen outside the outer gate. When she sees Inanna, she throws herself at her feet. The Gala say, we shall take Ninjuber in your place. Inanna says, No! Ninjuber is my constant support, my companion, my advisor, and my warrior. She did not forget my words. Because of her, my life was saved. I will never give you Ninjuber. Walk on then, Inanna, the Galisei. Inanna comes to the temple of her son Shara and finds him dressed in rags. When he sees his mother, he throws himself at her feet. The gala say, We shall take Shara in your place. But Inanna says, No, not my Shara. He sings to me. He cuts my nails and he brushes my hair. I will never give Shara to you. The gala say, Proceed to the city then, Inanna. Inanna comes to the temple of her second son, Lulal, and finds him dressed in rags. When he sees his mother, he throws himself at her feet. The Gallus say, We shall take Lulal in your place. But Inanna says, No, not my Lulal. He is my leader. He is my left arm and my right arm. I will never give Lulal to you. The Gallus say, Proceed then, Inanna. We will go with you to the apple tree at your temple. By the big apple tree, Dumuzi, the husband of Inanna, is dressed in his shining holy garments and sits on his magnificent throne. He does not move when he sees Inanna. The gala grab Dumuzi upon the thighs. Inanna fastens the eye of death upon him. She screams wrath upon her husband. She cries guilt upon him. Take him, take Dumuzi away, she declares. The gala sees Dumuzi. This isn't quite the end of the story. I'm going to summarize the rest in respect for time. Dumuzi cries out to the gods for help, and they take mercy upon him. They transform him into a snake, and he slithers away. What proceeds is a magnificent chase around Sumer, with Dumuzi hiding in all kinds of places, and then shape-shifting into another creature, a gazelle, with the demons of the underworld close at his heels. At last, they seize him and bind his hands and feet and take him to the underworld. 
When Dumuzi's mother and sister find out about this, however, they are terribly upset and aggrieved. Inanna takes pity upon them, so she sets up an arrangement with Dumuzi's sister in which Dumuzi will subside in the underworld half of the year, and his sister shall take his place the other half. If you know the Greek myth of Persephone, you'll notice this rings with a familiar tone, right? There is quite a lot of evidence that the story of Persephone is actually a later development to the Inanna underworld myth. But I digress. Let's begin to break this story down. Beginning with Ninshuber's Lament. How interesting that the only god that would help her was Enki, the god of water. Water, as we discussed in our last episode, is the elemental form of our emotions and memories and contains within it the gifts of healing. Enki, the steward or god of water, gifts Inanna with grace when she needs it most. How interesting also that Enki crafts and sends two androgynous creatures to help Inanna. But what is most striking in this part of the story is what these creatures do when they meet Arashkogal. They find the queen, let's be honest, a complete mess. She's undressed, her hair is a disaster, and she's moaning and crying in pain. These creatures listen to Arashkogal and reflect back her pain. They offer her grace. All Ereshkigal needed was to be heard. Each time I read this story, I am astounded at how simple yet profound the message is. It's like we all need to receive this kind of constant reminder, like a post-it note stuck on our mug each morning. The kindness and that listening is the most powerful medicine there is. Listen to your emotional pain. Listen to the pain of others. We don't need to change it or give advice. We simply need to hold a space of compassion in order for that pain to run its course. Grace is the kindness that allows our prickly defenses to lower and creates the safety for the lost feminine parts of us to reawaken. With the sprinkling of the food and water of life, Inanna rises. The queen, our own divine feminine nature, comes back. The divine feminine archetype under the ruby ray of grace is the healer. Surprise, surprise, right? I hear many people say, I'm not a healer because I don't have any healing modality or mechanism to heal people with. The title of healer within a patriarchal paradigm is reserved for only those with a certificate or degree of some sort. But I define this term a bit differently. I believe that we all have potential to be healers, and all it takes is to direct our intention towards healing ourselves. I believe that as we heal ourselves and remember our wholeness, we are healing to others 
regardless of techniques or modalities or lack thereof. Simply our presence can be healing by listening, by offering grace. Grace is something we don't need to ask for. When we know someone is hurting or struggling, we offer them grace. Enki offers Inanna grace not because she deserved it. There are no rules that qualify someone to receive grace. Even when we believe we have made a mistake, we give and receive grace because we need it. Enki fashions this principle of grace into two magical androgynous creatures. They're like guardian angels. Have you ever experienced a simple little miracle? When you're in a rough spot and someone gifted you something that totally alleviated the situation. It doesn't have to be a huge grand thing like Inanna coming back to life. Here's an example. There was this one time at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was in total panic mode and hoarding food. And I went to the store and it was just awful. Everyone was walking around panic stricken. There was hardly any food on the shelves. And this really impacted me. I started feeling pretty stressed out about not having food in the house. And at the same time, I really wanted to get the F out of there. So I went to check out and unbeknownst to me, I cut in line because I didn't see that there was this huge queue happening to the side. And this guy started yelling at me like crazy. And then I snapped and started yelling back and we created this whole scene. So when I got home, I was pretty shook up and I felt ashamed. I had gotten hardly anything I needed, including eggs. I don't know why, but I was really focused on eggs. And I was like, we have no eggs. What am I going to do? And then I got a text from a friend who lives about five or 10 minutes away. And this text said, I got some eggs from my neighbor who has chickens. Do you need any? She had no idea that I was panicking about eggs. And yet, she offered me the perfect gift of grace that I needed in that moment. And all of a sudden, I knew I was going to be okay. We were going to be okay. It didn't matter that I felt ashamed about how I acted in the grocery store. It didn't matter that I had freaked out and was in scarcity mode. As human beings, we are wired to offer and receive grace. We are meant to thrive within a loving, generous network, not persevere alone, proving our worth in order to be fixed or saved by a judgmental God or medical system, as the case may be. I believe grace is one of the most important spiritual principles that we can live by. When we give and accept grace on a regular basis, it makes life a whole lot more beautiful. And it makes the process of healing a whole lot more easeful. When we learn to accept and invite grace from all directions and unexpected places, 
Yes, we will still feel pain and discomfort as we heal. That's a natural part of life. But we won't suffer and we won't be alone. Through grace, we remember our innate wholeness and we come back to life just as Inanna did. As she awakens from her death coma, Inanna wastes no time in getting out of the underworld. But we learn that reality has shifted. Inanna cannot leave the underworld without a price. Something of her must remain there. This is true for all of us who have ventured into the dark nights of our souls or explored the depths of our shadows. We are no longer afraid of the dark. We create a bridge to our shadow lands. We are forever changed. After our underworld journeys, we realize there is a kind of perfection in being imperfect. The thing about the frequency of love is that love just wants to keep expanding. It wants to go back into our shadows and find more lost parts of us to love into wholeness. And this is a perfectly imperfect way of living. In being willing to return to the underworld and embrace our shadows with grace over and over again, we begin to develop our healer's medicine. The divine masculine archetype of the ruby ray is the medicine keeper. You can think of your medicine as an exquisite wine or a most dazzling crystal or a healing mineral spring, all of which are formed through elements under pressure in a dark, cold, and cavernous environment, i.e. the underworld. We are no different from anything else in nature. The more we venture into the dark underworld with both courage and grace, the further our own unique medicine is perfected. This makes me think about the stories of inner earth, or hollow earth as some people call it. It seems like just about every culture on our planet has folklore about civilizations that live deep within the earth's core from Agartha in the Western mystical tradition to Shambhala in Tibetan Buddhism to indigenous tribes all over North, Central, and South America who claim to know of the locations and entrances to inner earth. Remember those fairy mounds we talked about in our last episode? Some of those, all over Western Europe, are entrances to inner earth. According to Irish Celtic tradition, the Tuatha de Danann, which was the royal tribe of fairy beings who inhabited Ireland before the Celts, actually left the surface of the earth through portals and mounds and now reside in inner earth. According to mythos about the Lemurians, these original inhabitants of planet Earth and descendants of star beings escaped the surface of the Earth around the fall of Atlantis and now reside inside the Earth somewhere beneath Mount Shasta. Inner Earth lore tells of it being illuminated by a golden light which emanates from the heart of Mother Earth, her fiery core. There are rivers and lakes, crystal caverns, 
healing sanctuaries for those who have, for reason or another, escaped the chaos on the surface of the planet and come seeking respite and refuge. There are entire towns and civilizations. There are all kinds of magical beings, not just fairies. There are gnomes and dwarves, giants, unicorns, dragons, and even some humans with powerful enough wizarding skills to make it there. Is it just me, or does this all sound super appealing to you too? I remember watching an episode of Ancient Civilizations on Gaia TV all about this topic, and they were talking about a tribe in South America that claims to hold a path on their land to inner earth, which takes two weeks by foot to reach. When I learned this, I couldn't help but fantasize about it. Like, how much food and water would one need to take? What about light? Who or what would I meet once I reached inner earth? Could it really be done? I like to think that it could and that inner earth really does exist. Not because I have proof and not because I think we can or should find proof. That's kind of missing the point. The fantasy of inner earth is the point. To believe that there is goodness deep below our feet. Even in moments of experience, chaos all around, in the news, outside our doors, in our families, or within our own minds, when we can expand our perception and realize that the surface of the earth is just one tiny part of this planet, just like our skin, it doesn't define what's inside us either, right? There is a whole world below the surface, a whole world. When we can expand our consciousness to believe in inner earth, it shifts our perception of the underworld. There is healing in the underworld. There is beauty. Precious medicines arise from the underworld. When we come back from the underworld, we are gifted. Not only do we come bearing medicine, we come carrying the perception of a whole new reality than what is happening on both the surface of our consciousness and the surface of our planet. This new perception profoundly changes us in a way that we actually cannot yet totally know. This leads us back to our story to the point where Inanna reaches her realm and must choose someone to send to the underworld in her place. And who does Inanna pick to be her underworld emissary? Not her beloved and loyal servant, and not her two beloved sons, all three of whom were in the process of mourning her death, and all three put on a great show of emotion upon her return. Instead, Inanna chooses her husband, her second half, her masculine half, you could say. Isn't this interesting? Her husband was not mourning her, and he didn't seem to be at all moved to see her return. I mean, I would be pretty pissed off if I were her too. 
What we're peeking into with this turn of events is actually a profound lesson that we shall explore in great detail in the next episode of our quest. But let's discuss it in short as a teaser for now. After the divine feminine rises from the dead, the masculine has to die. Inanna knows this. It was probably one of the reasons she decided to go to the underworld in the first place without knowing she knows it. Dumuzi, her masculine half, has become greedy, lazy, and self-important, aloof and detached. The love has withered between them. After the divine feminine rises within our consciousness, the next transformation begins. The masculine part of us that has been running and ruling our consciousness is unfit. The two halves of ourselves are not at peace, not unified, not harmonized. This reminds me of what we explored in our last episode with the Grail Knights and their grand acts of chivalry. Did that fix anything? Did it draw out the traumatized well-maintenance from hiding? No, it did not. As the feminine rises and returns, trust between the feminine and masculine is broken and it has to be repaired. And for that to happen... Our masculine natures need a vacation to the underworld too. But remember, energy never dies. Through death, we are transformed. All of this and so much more is to come in our next episode of The Evolutionary Androgen. I hope you have enjoyed this story as much as I have. And I hope both Inanna and Areshkigal now hold a special place within your awakening divine feminine consciousness. If you'd like to invite them in, all you have to do is remember the gifts of the Kurgara and the Galater. Offer grace, the food and water of life. Your shadows will soften. Your divine feminine nature will rise. What offering of grace can you make to someone or a part of yourself that needs it today? We will be back in the next episode with a new story from a different time and a different part of the world as we journey to the carnelian ray of freedom. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest with me, Charlotte Alea. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.